You're listening to Path of Love with David Youngren. To learn more about us, visit pathoflovecenter.com. Welcome to the Path of Love. I am Marcus Noel here with David Youngren talking about his book, Awakening to I Am Love. We're on chapter 12, and chapter 12 is entitled, How Meditation Helps You Awaken. So let's talk with David. How are you doing today, David? Oh, it's beautiful outside. The world is, you know, a wonderful place to live in because especially the more you awaken to this reality that God is in all and uh, it just makes life and the world so much more beautiful. You must have just come out of a meditation. No, <laughs> it's perfect. It sounds great. <laughs> no, I didn't come out of just out of meditation. I did it earlier today. And actually, yeah. I did the meditation because I'm, we have many different types of meditations. And you know that I put a lot of programs together over the years. Mm-hmm. But the one that I describe in this particular chapter, I haven't done this particular one for quite a long time. But I, today, today, since we were recording this, I did it again. And I'm saying, oh, this is good. I loved it. In the beginning of the book, you are uh, chapter 12. You talked about um, basically meditation and how it worked for you. Um, can you describe a little bit about that? In the, I think it was last week I shared a little bit about my own experience into this. As you know, I came out of the Christian tradition and meditation was not something, especially back then, that was something that we were encouraged to engage in. And it's not something that I ever tried and was completely foreign to me, it was associated with Eastern religion and with our very tribal nature, it was not something that we dared to venture out into. But I was dealing with a lot of stress, I was dealing with anger and I felt like people had done me wrong, but I also recognized that I had done wrong. So there was this plethora of different emotions and I just moved here to the United States and I started having these cluster headaches and these cluster headaches were so severe. I felt like someone was sticking a knife in my eye and literally would twist a knife around. And I didn't know how to get rid of this. I went to the doctor and they prescribed me the strongest painkillers. It didn't even, nothing helped, nothing, you know, there was no difference. And then I started praying. I did everything I knew as you're told when you're a Christian and that I had, of course, as a, pastor as someone who was there out there speaking to people something that I practiced myself but I didn't get better I got worse and I became very disillusioned by all of this and I thought I don't want to live like this the pain only got worse and worse and worse and um, and then in 2006 I, I had this inner feeling I don't know what it was it was just this prompting I shouldn't say that I don't know what it was I have certainly my ideas but I had this inner prompting to meditate And as I said, meditation was so foreign to me, something that I thought, no, this is not what you do as a Christian. But it was so strong. And when you have so much pain and you're in so so much discomfort and you just want to die because it's too painful to live, you're willing to try anything. So I walked down the stairs. I've had my worst night. The pain had been so severe. And I walked down this set of stairs from where I lived and into my car. And then I just slumped into the seat of my car. And I sat down, closed my eyes, didn't really know how to do it, and started reliving this, um, some of the images from the movie, The Passion of the Christ, and the love, the really, the, to me, it represented the true essence of love, the 
unselfishness, the unconditional love, which is really the message of, of Jesus that in so many ways Christianity has lost, if we want to be honest, especially in certain corners here in the United States, we've lost that message. It becomes about morality, it becomes about our way of life, our tribe. It's become very tribal. But the message of Jesus is incredibly inclusive. It's incredibly very much about love and love for all people. And, and so when I did that meditation, I felt this overwhelming sense of love and instantly the pain disappeared. And, and that was the last I had of that pain. And of course, that led into this further evolving involvement in, in how I approach meditation. I started meditating on a more consistent basis and I noticed how it changed me. I became less anxious, worried and stressed. My blood pressure improved drastically. And, and I started also these feelings that I had before of guilt, of fear, and began to subside. And many of the insecurities also faded away. So there was this incredibly uh, change in my life because I meditated simply on this divine love. It completely changed me. Now, as I said before, my meditation has evolved much since that time. And I've understood more about it since that time. It's been uh, many, many years, 15 years uh, since we actually, since this actually happened to me, more than 15 years. And so things have changed. But, I, you know, every day I still go back to that meditation. And, it, and it's really, really uh, so impactful. So it looks like, um, obviously, the meditation has grown a lot more over the years for you. And... A better realization, understanding on how to to uh, get to that point. Even then, uh, you look like you even you introduced a forty day meditation challenge called Amazing Life. Can you talk about that? It's something you did in two thousand twelve, correct? Uh, yeah, I, I released in two thousand and twelve, if, if I'm if I remember correctly. Amazing Life is actually forty day program that we put together. That was about five to seven or eight, even 10 minutes teaching per day. And then there was about 20 to 25 minute meditation uh, on audio, both of them on audio. And then there was a journaling book that went along with it, that goes along with it. And so we, people would actually journal each day and this went on for 40 days. And the goal was to help people experience a transformation for people to awaken to that deepest and truest self and to for people to wake into this unconditional love and allow that love now to transform their lives. So we set up for that. It was specifically for my Christian friends. It was geared toward that crowd so that they will see and be able to understand the, what I consider the true message of Jesus that in so many ways we have lost. Uh, as I said, it's this inclusive message of love and wholeness and and peace and, and grace for all people and real transformation of the heart. So that's basically the, the program. And it was so successful. So even before I started, even before I launched it, I sent it to a friend of mine in, in, uh, in the Netherlands. He's a, pa he's a pastor, Marcel Gossenbeek. I sent it to him and, and he so much liked it. He said, can I use this for my church? And, and so then after that, and it, you know, a lot of other people got hold of it, and it was sent to uh, 
people around the world and they began to ask more questions about this. So it really took off even before it came out. I started getting requests for this and eventually it was translated into to Dutch, into Spanish, into Swahili. And um, I think it was one other language or maybe not into those three languages. And I just had someone actually a week ago say if, if asked me if I, they could translate into Hungarian Hungarian. Oh wow. And wow. so it just spread so quickly because it's the results are there, the incredible results are there. People's lives are changed because of it. And it's not because this is some kind of magic program. It is because we're really helping people. We're guiding people toward having that uh, awareness of of the divine presence within them that permeates with love, that permeates with peace and grace. And that is very healing. That is very restorative. That is very unitive or unifying. What are some of the benefits that you've heard from the people who've gone through the amazing life? You know, I have got over the years, I have got reports from around the world. It never ceases to amaze me. The kind of reports that people are sending me, I getting like on Facebook or emails or people coming up to me literally from around the world and talking about how that program has changed. And the amazing thing is, is a lot of times I didn't even know who these people are. I don't know how they got the program, um, but it has been so transformative. And, and a few examples, one of them was in the, one of the first stories that we actually heard from her was a woman who had, uh, had nightmares for almost all her life. She was abused as a child. And she had tried for a very long time to be free from these nightmares, and, and but she couldn't. She was in her 40s, I think, or something like that. When she began doing uh, this Amazing Life program, in the third or fourth day, all the nightmares disappeared. She was completely free. Another interesting story was about this guy who had not been able to sleep for more than 25 years. Now, I mean, he would be in and out. It wasn't like he never slept, but he could never get a full night's rest there was always like this anxiety and worry and stress in his life and he could never seem to be able to sleep and he started going through this program and now he was able to sleep and, and it just so changed his life but i think one of the more significant stories is about this uh, woman in uh, diane i think it was her name diane in uh, or debbie in um, the netherlands and she started doing this program and she had been diagnosed with brain cancer. And so you can imagine the devastation of getting that news. And so she started doing this meditation and she thought it was silly to begin with, but basically her pastor had told her to do it. She started doing these meditations and she became so aware of love, God's love, divine love that it was like healing. And mm -hmm. six months after she went to the doctor again and they took a some kind of a CAT scan and they, they saw no more trace of that cancer. It had just gone. There was no medication and nothing like that because somehow or another, and, and later on I, I've discovered one of the reasons why, because you know the immune system has the capacity to almost heal any kind of sickness. I read this by scientists that the immune system has this, there's this incredible ability to heal almost any sickness in your body. And so when she began to meditate on love, well, of course, I know now, you know how they study the brain, how the activity in the brain stem that 
regulates your immune system, that boosts your immune system, is strengthened. Blood flows to that part of your brain. So it's like when, when uh, she began to meditate on this love, it was like healing then began to naturally take place. Her immune system was boosted and she was healed. So that, that's the power of it. And, and so some people just think, well, this is just magic and you just give magic. No, no, this is like actually scientifically, you can actually prove this, mm -hmm. um, that this works. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not, you know, we, we always think of God as like magic, supernatural. Now, I think with any, whenever you talk about God, it's much better to talk about God as something that is very natural. Mm -hmm. And and I think that one of the mistakes, and you cut me off here any time, but one of the mistakes that I see, sadly, in the Christian community, I'm, I'm not speaking to judge anybody. You, you know my heart. I'm not like that. But one of the mistakes that I think that we have seen in, uh, in many parts of Christianity is that we have focused and we have made God into a powerful God. We talk about God's power. So when people get sick or when people have problems in their lives and people have whatever circumstance they're going through, they're asking for God's power. In other words, they're asking for God to heal them or do this for them. So they're seeking God's power. But I would suggest it's not really the God to seek. In fact, I, I would suggest that that God is a, the ego's interpretation of what God is. Because God is love, so you cannot divorce love from God. And so if you truly want to encounter God, if you truly want to experience transformation, you encounter the nature of God within you. And that is what transforms your life. That's what bring, brings healing. That's what brings restoration. That's what brings unity. That's what brings wholeness to your life. And that's what I think happened to uh, Debbie's life. And kind of how you said in the last chapter, um, how you said uh god is in the father jesus is in the father and god is in me like we're one basically um uh making god be in in you doesn't put it on a level that's unreachable yeah exactly it's not like oh god please and we plead with god oh do this for me i, I beg of you no 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 it's not mm -hmm. nothing about that it, it's just becoming aware of God within you. And when you become aware of God within you, you become aware of, of this unconditional selfless love. And that's what, it's like this transforming energy. We think about this and we, we studied a little bit of quantum physics. We talked about that throughout the book, right? And I've, I've thrown out some ideas that you probably say, I don't know where he is getting that from. And people, some of my listeners are saying, well, you know, I don't know if I can believe all that and all that kind of stuff. But when you begin to study this more and more, you realize there's something to this. And what I'm suggesting to you that love is not a concept, but a transformative energy that heals, reconciles, unites, and makes whole. And it's like, if we study the cells and if we study the, you know, if we break down a cell, you get into molecules and then you get into atoms and you get into sub in the subatomic world and it's currently small and you realize it's 99.9% empty space and all the different things that we're hearing. But I would suggest that at the very heart of it, and I haven't necessarily gone into that because that, that's, that's, you know, it's hard to explain. I'm not a scientist, but when, 
some of the scientists that I've read, when they begin to explain this, you, you recognize that the potentiality is there, that at the very heart of every, at the very core of every, the smallest fabric is love as the, as the transcending energy that unites and brings wholeness and is the source of life. It's God within all things. And it's beautiful. And when you awaken to that reality, it transforms you. So then can you describe to listeners, what is meditation? Um, for people who may not understand or know what meditation is. Well, I think the most simplest explanation is that meditation is simply means heightened awareness. It is, but it also has implications. It, the implications are that your mind is not racing in the past, not thinking about the past, you're not thinking about the future, but you're in the present, you're in the right now. I like something, I actually watched something of the NBA basketball final, uh, and you know, Milwaukee Bucks won, and Giannis, and I won't begin to try to pronounce his last name. I, but, I know who you're speaking of. <laughs> but I mean, he's, he's, he's the best player there, right? He was the MVP and all of that. And, and mm -hmm. it's a tremendous place. He's from Greece. He made, he made a very fascinating, interesting statement. And I thought, wow. He said that, you know, I, the way I play basketball, he said, is I'm always playing in the present. He said, the ego keeps me in the past. Pride would like to think about the future, but he mm -hmm. said, the reason I believe to, for my success is that I always stay present in the moment right now. And I thought, oh, wow, that's a good <laughs> lesson right there, Giannis. I like it. Absolutely. So he must have figured something out. And, and I thought that that was very, very true. But so what it means is heightened awareness. So it implies that you're present in the now. Uh, and of course, there are many different types of meditation. There's, you know, there are secular meditation and spiritual meditations and we call them mindfulness or whatever you want to call it, which is really is not. It's like mind, it should, should not be called mindfulness because it's not like your mind is full of stuff. It's the total opposite. You come to a place of just being purely aware. Right? When you separate uh, from the thinker, most of us identify with the thinker as who we are. But at, at the core, and we have had this discussion, you and I, Marcus, at the core, we are pure consciousness. When you were being held by your mother and mm. your dad, when you were just a little baby, can you imagine those days? Your kids will love listening to this. When you were <laughs> a little baby and you were being cuddled by your parents, you just were aware. You were not identifying with thoughts. You mm. simply existed. And the same, I mean, if you would have been born to uh, the Queen of England, mm -hmm. you would not have known that you were royalty. You just were aware, you were present. So that's really what, what we're talking about. It's returning. It's like being born again, what Jesus said, being born again. It's coming mm -hmm. back to that place of beginning when you're just aware, when you're not focused and caught up with your thoughts. And I love the example you used um, from just right now to a mother and a child, um, a newborn to you need either being born in a regular lifestyle or a, a royal lifestyle. You don't know um, until, you know, something is placed on you in that way. Um, you used the example of Snoop Dogg in the, on the airplane. Uh, that was an actually funny situation. And 
on the book. <laughs> well, I, you know, I almost felt like I didn't know whether the story fit or not. So I, I kind of thought, does this story really fit in here? Should I actually tell this story or not? But I, I really worked hard because I, you know, I know people like all of us, we learn more through stories than we actually do in, in just by reading or trying to understand complex issues and, and thoughts. So I know you learn so much more. And so this was a way for me to possibly explain what meditation is. So I was on this flight from Europe to Los Angeles and we're sitting up on, you know, 747s. So I was sitting up on the upper deck, which is fairly small. You know, the upper deck is fairly small. And so I was supposed to sit, I think in row two and that's, that's what I had booked my seat. And uh, so then when I arrived at the airport, they said, well, would you be able to sit in like row six or something like that instead? Because there's a group of people and we have that row available. So if there's a group of them that want to sit together. So I said, sure. So then, of course, I was intrigued to find out who these people were. And so they got on the plane and it was like this big muscular guy, two of them, two of these big muscular guys, like they looked like. I thought, are these football players? I mean, they're big. And then there was this like lanky, uh, you know, somewhat tall. He wasn't like extremely tall, but he looked like he was lanky. So he probably appeared to be taller than he actually was. But he was pretty tall. But I'm tall too, as you know. So yeah, maybe, you that's, <laughs> maybe that's the reason why. So I, I'm thinking, I don't recognize them. You know, I follow football, but I didn't recognize these guys. I said, I don't know who they are. Of course, you see people with helmets on anyhow when they play football. So you don't really know who they are. I said, I don't know if they're football players. But I was trying to think, well, who are they? So I sat there on the plane and I noticed throughout, like a few times, this guy would walk past and back and forth and this lanky guy. And, uh, and then I saw the flight attendants, they were all over him and they were like, I wanted his autograph. And I'm thinking like, who is this guy? Why didn't I recognize him? And so 20 minutes before I'm about to land, now you realize this is an 11 hour trip. So we've been sitting there together for 11 hours. He's a few rows ahead of me. And we've been there together and it suddenly dawns on me. It's Snoop Dogg. <laughs> that's who it is it's snoop dog and so that there goes my knowledge of popular <laughs> culture and you know it took me that long to clue in so then we kind of i was the, probably the first one off the plane and he was one of the first few as well off the plane so we were going through customs and I, my son was sitting there waiting for me right by the door by the exits and when i got out from customs and all that so i got into the car so I, I said to him, you know what? I just saw Snoop Dogg. He was on my plane. And so my son says, oh, there he is. He just walked out and just stepped inside and sat down in the car in front of me. <laughs> and so you say, what has this to do with meditation? Well, I was in the presence of Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Not that, honestly, it doesn't really mean that much to me because I never listened to his music. It's not like he's, he's mm -hmm. just not my kind of guy. You know, like he, I'm sure he's a great guy. His name is actually Calvin Cortazar Brodus. And I would have found that very fascinating. I mentioned in the book, I would have found mm -hmm. it fascinating just to talk to him about his life, who he was. But the music doesn't do anything for me, right? And that's just me. And, and no offense for all the people who, who like him. But I was in the presence of him, but I wasn't aware of it. And I thought about that when it comes to meditation and understanding really God. 
and that God is within us, but mm-hmm. most of us are not aware of it. God is always there. God is always present, but we're not aware of it. And unless you're aware of it, it really doesn't affect you. It doesn't benefit you. So for example, I was there beside, could, uh, a few times I could have just reached <laughs> out my hand and shook his hand and said, hi, Snoop Dogg, but I didn't. And probably wouldn't done that even if I known who it was, but I didn't because I wasn't aware. I was unconscious to it. And in the same way, most of us are unconscious or unaware of God within each and every one of us. And not just within yourself, but also within others, even more so within others. We're not aware of God. And that is really how I explain meditation. Meditation is heightened awareness of this transcending reality beyond the five senses within you, a very presence of God being, being aware, acutely aware and conscious of the divine presence within you that permeates with love, grace, and peace. So with God's presence inside of everyone, I see it as like, and, and, and someone not being aware, it's like a, a dormant volcano inside of you. The power that can come from a volcano is incredibly insane and un, un, totally something that you, you just have to see. But if you don't see it or you can't recognize it and it's dormant, it's just sitting there and it's not doing anything, how are you supposed to even know it's it's there. You have to awaken. It, so what right? you're saying is that there's a volcano of love within the side mm-hmm. of you, but it's dormant. And, yeah. and I think that that's very true. That is the key to your health, to your relationships, to a better world, to mending our differences. It, it is the key to everything. There's a volcano. I like that. There's a volcano of love waiting to erupt inside of you but you have to awaken to it. And you say we're always in the presence of the divine spirit. And is that, that basically again, because it's in you? Yeah, exactly. It's in you and within all of us. And that's a beautiful thing. And I'll get into this later on, but this is so beautiful. I had someone tell me one time, Oh, yeah, I'm aware of God within me, but I can't be aware of God in anybody else. And I thought to myself, if you're not aware of God in others, you're probably not aware of God within you. <laughs> because the divine love is a flow. A divine love is a flow, and it always flows. If you're truly aware of it, you will always see it in others. You begin to awaken. You, you see them not for the egoic way of seeing the world. You, you, can, you can point out all the flaws and all the mistakes and everything else, but you see them at a deeper level. You begin to see the divine within them. Yeah, their minds are messed up. Their minds, the egoic traits are there. But you see past that, and you see the very divine presence within them. So you have a subtitle that says the garden within and you spoke about the garden of eden and how you always looked for it as a place on the map can you explain a little bit about yeah 
you know, for, for years and years when I was a child, I heard these stories about the Garden of Eden and, you know, that people speculated where it was. It was like in the Tigris River and the Euphrates Rivers and, and no one was able to find it. And people said, well, it's no longer there, you know, and all kinds of theories. We all try to explain why we, nobody could find it. But I come to realize that the, that place, and it's like, I don't know if you read the book, The Alchemist, where... And there's a very fascinating book where this young Andalusian shepherd traveled around the world in search of a treasure, only to return back to where he started looking and to know it was there all the time. And in the same way, I feel like so many of us have looked for this sacred place where we can find God. We have many monuments. We have many places. We all look for these places where we somehow know they can get to God. But like the alchemist, God is within me, within you. We don't have to travel anywhere. It's all geography. Mm -hmm. The presence of God is within us. You're, you're absolutely correct. And it says, uh, what's the path to presence of God uh, where you find your true self? And is that being grateful because you go into um begin with gratitude yeah so what, what i'm suggesting here is that there are and this is just i'm laying out as, as you know that i have many different types of meditations i have some mm -hmm. from more christians i have some people from different backgrounds and and so on so the goal is for me to people for people to awaken to this divine presence within them awaken to love within them so some are more suitable for different people so i have basically four steps here and you can follow these step by step they will work but you can also follow other programs and a lot of the things that we are doing are basically summarizing these different four steps so i thought i would through this chapter in the book i would just give people kind of an introduction to how we put together our meditation programs and how it, it really is working. So the, the way it's set up is, is that we always begin with gratitude. Why is gratitude so important? Because as I said, our minds, most of us are preoccupied in our minds. Mm -hmm. Most of us are preoccupied with past. You know, something happened, someone offended us, someone did this, someone did us wrong, someone said the wrong thing. We We kind of we're like, um, I mean, if, if people would hear our inner dialogue that we will be called crazies when we put, be put in an insane asylum because many of us have this self-talk and we talk about, we have like inner conversations with ourselves about this person who did us wrong and what we would respond back to them. We tell them exactly what we think. You know, we, we have all these, I don't know about you, Marcus, maybe you're beyond <laughs> that, but, but most people have this inner, these inner conversations that we would never dare to say out loud. The only difference between people who are placed in insane asylum and most people is that the people in insane asylum, they say it out they loud. They say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but what, what I'm suggesting to you is that we have this inner dialogue. So we always, we, we deal with that. And then we deal about the future. We have maybe it's fear about the future, anxiety and worry about the future. Or it's just like we're living in, in the future somewhere. We don't like the present moment. We, we kind of, 
but as, I, as you've heard me talk about the presence, the present moment is where you find God. You don't find God in the future. You don't find God in the past. You find God right now within you. You don't find love in the, in the past. You don't find love in the future. You find love right now within you. You don't find peace in the past. You don't find peace in the future. You find peace right now. Eternal life is not some incredibly long life. It is always right now. Eternal life, and, and, and I can get into that because I've studied that concept, eternal life, not just in the Christian tradition, but in many traditions, when you actually understand that terminology, you understand that what it meant was right now. Eternal life is something you have right now. It's being present in the moment. So the ego always pulls you many different directions. So what does this gratitude do? What does gratitude do for us? It puts us back into accepting what is. That's where you have to begin, right? If you're always thinking about, oh, I, when you're thinking about the past, what went wrong? When you think about the future, what you know, what you want happen to you then, you don't live in the present. But being grateful for what is right now is the starting point. So I say here that meditation, the launching pad, the starting point to find that sacred presence within you starts with gratitude. And when I say gratitude, it's more than words. It's the inner experience of fullness and expansion within you, an opening of your heart. You shift your consciousness away from the need to establish blame. It says fault and assign good and evil to a place of gratefulness for all things. So it's like letting go of the ego's need to judge and you open your heart to receive unconditional love. That's what gratitude does. So that's really the first step. Gratitude is not only, you say gratitude is not only a verbal communication and mental response to what you're facing. It's at its core, being thankful is an inner experience of fullness and expansion within you and an opening of your heart. How do you get into that opening of your heart? How do you get to that point? Well, what we do in, in our meditation is what I suggest people to do is when, you know, I usually go and sit outside. That's my favorite place to meditate. I do it in the morning when it's very quiet and still. And uh, of course, in the wintertime, I'm not always able to do so you do it inside. But and I spend maybe the first 60 seconds looking around. I look around. I, I have a fairly nice view here. I see the mountains in the distance. And I look at the, my trees in the backyard. I, I'm kind of just very grateful and express gratefulness. I'm grateful for my life. And it's a way for me to become present. So I do that for about 60 seconds. I just look around and, and just sit there in a place of gratefulness where I think of people I'm grateful for. But I don't do it for longer than 60 seconds because your mind may wander to all kinds of different things and you, mm -hmm. and, and you don't want to do that. So just focus for a very short period of time on things that you're grateful for. And then you kind of, you close your eyes and you, I do a breathing exercise. Often I take a deep breath and I hold it and I release it. And I focus on that and I feel, I feel my lungs filling up and then I feel exhaling. And, and that's very, very wonderful. Actually, it's a great feeling. You can do that for a minute. I recommend for people to do that for a minute. I would also suggest that if people are listening to me right now and you say, well, is there some way for us to be guided through that? Well, we have the, of course, Amazing Life program. 
and we have a number of different programs, but you can also go online and just for get a one day experience of this. And it's completely free and it's called healing stillness. And uh, we encourage people to go and do that. You get it for free. You can go to pathoflovecenter.com or davidyoungren.com and you'll be able to access it through there. And, and I encourage people to do that. And we actually follow not exactly this particular meditation, but we follow something that's very similar to it. Mm -hmm. So as you take the deep breaths and then you uh, exhale, do you have uh, music going on? Do you have something that is uh, constantly keeping you in that relaxed state? I do most of the time, but not always. And some people prefer to have no music. It all depends on people's preferences. You, you know, a lot of times people just sit in complete stillness and well, you don't need music to be in complete stillness. In fact, some of the most beautiful sounds is complete stillness. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. Then you move into peace in your body. Um, a lot of people have a really hard time of having peace in their, in their body. How do you describe that and uh, directions to get to that point? Yeah, peace is the first stop really in our journey toward awareness of this divine presence, our truest and deepest self. You see, when your body's under stress, especially for extended period of time, your energy drains, your body begins to break down, you may have headaches, you may have chest pain, you may have muscle tension, you may have fatigue, you may uh, have all kinds of sleep problems, stomach issues, and it can even affect your sex drive and all of those things. And these symptoms make it difficult to experience any kind of deep awareness of God within you. And so it creates all this tightness and nervous tension in your body and it needs to be released. So your body has to return to a state of peace and inner rest and harmony. So when what we do is I help people focus on the word peace. Mm -hmm. And then with every breath you inhale, mentally observing peace flowing through your digestive system all the way down through your body and then back up again through your brain. So you basically do like a scanning of your body, like a body scan where you just focus on the word peace. And as you breathe, you, you just focus on every part of your body and when you just feel peace. So sometimes, for example, you may feel a lot of tension in a certain part of your body mm -hmm. and then you just just focus on the word peace and you focus on that part of your body. When you do that for a while, you just begin to feel peace. Like sometimes in your hands, it's amazing how, how many things you can feel in your hands. If you sit down, you can mm -hmm. feel tension. A lot of times it's just, I love just f having that sensation in my hands and feeling that sensation, that aliveness in my hands. And, and then if you have tension, you just kind of release it. You breathe in peace and you exhale the tension and the stress. Mm. And so for me, coming from the Christian background, sometimes I focus on the words, and, and I think my Christian friends will more readily acceptable of this when they hear this, I think. You know, Jesus said, peace, I'll leave you the same peace that I have, uh, that I have, I give to you. And, and he says, don't let your heart be troubled. And then he said something interesting after the resurrection. He looked at his disciples and he breathed on them. This is funny. He breathed on them, breath, right? He breathed, he breathed, and then they breathed in, and he said, peace be with you, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, think of this. What is spirit? 
Spirit is consciousness, right? So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, what are we saying? We're talking about pure, unconditioned consciousness. So when we talk about being born again, when Jesus talked about being born again, it wasn't that you signed on the dotted line and joined the, the local uh, church. No, no. It was, when we're talking about being born again, it was being born again by the Spirit. Being born again to going back to that. In other words, it, it kind of says that you already were born, but now you're going to be born again, and you're going to be born again in spirit, in consciousness. So you're returning back, even though you have now a conditioned mind, you're returning back to that original point where you're just conscious. And that consciousness is pure. It's called the Holy Spirit. It's pure consciousness. It's God's consciousness. And that consciousness contains peace. It contains love. It contains joy. It contains all what we call the fruit of the Spirit. So it contains all these different things. So when you're, when you're meditating and you're focusing on peace, that's really what I'm suggesting that you're going through this process where you come to a place of pure awareness, pure consciousness of the divine presence within you that permeates with love, grace, and peace. Like what you said earlier um, with a, a child who was born either to the queen or born to another person, all they are is aware of their surroundings, their, 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 who they are at that moment. So in that resemblance to being born again, you are born basically to just being aware again. Is that, is that kind of a resemblance to what you're saying? Yeah, it's being aware. It's, it's coming to that point of awareness. But now, of course, you have a conditioned mind but you're returning to that place of innocence. You return to that place where you realize that your consciousness is a gift of God. It's in essence is God within you. And you return to that point, a sense of pure, uh, unfiltered, unconditioned consciousness awareness. So one of the things you say is like you said, continue to exhale um, and release uh that stress and that tension and have an inner calmness and a peace that just flows in your body on basically every time you inhale on on that correct yeah yeah i mean i mean it's not so much focus on the inhaling but that's part of it kind of coming to a place of healing stillness it's it's very practical it you know a lot of times when, and i think this has been one of my struggles with religion we teach concepts we teach thoughts, ideas, mental constructs. But how do, does this actually apply? When people really get this, they say, oh, this is incredibly practical. It's, it's not complicated at all. It's, it's not theory. It's actually a practice. The more you do it and you realize, oh, breath. When Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit means breath, pure breath. And that was in reference, as we've talked about before, was consciousness that you're alive, the sense of aliveness. Well, that's really what it is. It's nothing more complicated than that. It's not some mystical thing that we're not even able to define. It's very simple. And that's what makes it. That's so what makes it great. That's yeah. what makes it really good. Yeah. yeah. And I know you use the word practice a lot in here, and it, it, it seems like that's one of the key words to be able to be successful in having this um, 
this really transform your life. You move on to grace uh, for your heart and mind. Um, is that the next step in uh, the practice? That's the next stop, as I said, toward that place of presence within you. And this is so important. And I say grace for your heart and mind. And because a lot of religion, we talk about grace, but grace is a mental concept here again. It's an intellectual idea. So we think, well, I'm a grace person. I belong to the grace church. Well, but we miss the point of what grace is. So what is grace? Well, to me, grace is the antidote to ego. It is opposite of ego. The ego lives by a value system of, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It gets its worth and significance by earning acceptance, approval, and love through its own efforts. It's about enhancing your sense of self, standing out, being better than. That's how you derive your sense of identity. That's how you feel good about yourself. And so that's why people say, for example, well, you know, I'm self-made. Nobody ever helped me. I, was, I did this on my own. And they take like a pride in that. I can say that. And people say, no, I don't want anybody to help me. Some people don't want anybody help to help them. And it's, it's a sense of pride. They say, well, I don't want, I, you know, I can do this on my own. And what that is a sign of is, as I said, is a sign of the ego. So grace then comes along and says, no, no, everything is a gift. Everything is a gift. And it is, in other words, is a form of death of your ego. So when Jesus died, we talk about that. That's the point of grace. You know, religious Christian conversations are that the grace was most personified on the cross. Well, why? Because it was a death of the ego. It was a death of me and mine and I and my own significance. It was a death so that now grace could restore and make whole. What I'm making the point here is that this grace, we have turned it into a belief system. But that's not what it is at all. It is the transformation of your subconscious, your heart. Remember how we talked about that in a couple of episodes ago. It is transforming the thoughts below your thoughts that are within you that controls and directs your life. So grace is a, a process of transformation when you begin to realize there is a death of the ego as the inner operating system of your life where there's now complete dependence, where there's now complete acceptance of unconditional love, that where you live by this unconditional love. Now, grace is counter to every egoic instinct you have because the essence of grace is unmerited favor. Uh, and as I said, uh, what most people today see grace is not what they saw in the early Christians, what the early Christians saw, because I believe that the early Christians saw grace as something that would open their hearts, heal their hearts, heal that emotional part within them where their sense of self, that contains their sense of self, heal that part so that grace would become their new lifestyle, a new way of life. I've, I've heard of a lot of people use grace um, in the terms of God have grace on me and uh, our God heal their souls because um, and, and allow grace to to be established in their life. I mean, and to the point to where it's basically saying. You're not good. And. 
I'm praying for you for that change for you to be a better person or not be that person or not be that thing or come over to my side of how I see things. Um, that's how I've, I've seen people use that in, in, in prayers. So you see how much ego gets involved in that too, right there. And that what you just said there, it's mm -hmm. interesting how much ego, when people say that it's like, I am, I have the right doctrine. You got to come over to this. I just trust God's grace. And so it becomes like this sermonette that we have to now tell people, this is how you, you know, you got to live and you got to believe this way and fix your life that way. And, and, and becomes very tribal. It becomes like another religious idea and a concept in people's minds. But that's not the purpose of grace. Grace is to transform your subconscious. Mm -hmm. It's to transform your subconscious where, where you re realize that everything you have in life is a gift. This body, this everything we have is in the mind. What's, what's real, what is lasting is your spirit, your oneness with God. That's what's, that's what's lasting. All the rest is just will fade away. And the more we realize that, the less we'll become enamored with, you know, I need to become rich. I need to get, become famous. I need to have, and then you have the religious people says, I, I need to have a ministry. I need to do this. I, I need to be somewhat, I need to be significant. All these different needs that people have, well, there's letting go of that and just recognizing that all you need is grace. And out of that consciousness and inner subconscious feeling of grace, now unlimited potential is released. But it no longer is for the benefit of your ego or your sense of self. But grace becomes a lifestyle that transforms and heals and and changes our lives. So, you know, that that's what I'm saying. It's like grace filling your mind. And, and Solomon talked about place your head, place on your head a garment of grace. In other words, surround your head with beauty because grace is beautiful and it, an undeserved favor and blessing that is for every person, every person that you meet. Everyone you see, you extend grace because at the very core, your, your subconscious has been transformed to the point where you are a gracious person. And that empowers your mind, empowers and increases your intelligence, as you say. Um, it, it increases and, 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 and works on your cells in your body. It, it, it really has a transformation, as you say, to how you feel. Yeah, and, and most of all, it changes our relationships. And think about that. If your relationships are improved, that will remove a lot of stress in your life. You yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And then you finally move on to finding heaven within you. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Finding heaven within you simply means being conscious of God, is being aware of unconditional love, and you can never divorce God from love. God is love. Love is God. I know some people may not like when I say that, but that's the only way you can interpret that. You cannot separate the two. The moment we separate the two, we have made one into an egoic concept. So when you come to, in this 
Last step now in your meditation, you focus on the word love. So you focus on peace and then you focus on grace and now you focus on love. And you just sit in that awareness and you just become more and more aware of selfless, unifying love. And what happens is this, when the more you sit in that uh, state of awareness, the line of separation between God and you are blurred. You begin to feel this oneness that I talked about with God. You feel this presence within you. You feel this love. That's all you feel. You feel love within you. But that love is not just there. It's like you feel this love toward other people, toward other things, toward life. The rock in front of you. There's an essence of God in that rock in front of you. God is in all things. All of it is an, is an expression of God. And you begin to feel it. You begin to have this love for all things. And for people that has people who have irritated you in the past, who have done you wrong in the past. And for those few moments when you sit there in this meditation, you feel this incredible love inside you. And there's this healing that flows, that heals your heart. And the more you do this, eventually you will find that, oh, I don't have any bitterness toward that person anymore. I don't have any resentment toward that person anymore. I don't have any unforgiveness toward that person anymore. And you didn't even try to get rid of it. It just disappeared because you've been sitting in that presence of love. You're sitting in the presence of the father. The father is above all, through all, and in all. And that includes in you. And the father is an expression of love. And I think we talked about this in the past. The word love and father have only one letter difference in the Hebrew alphabet. And that letter is he which means gaze, behold, look, reveal. So love is essentially the father revealed. And so we know that father is not, is gender neutral, has nothing to do with some guy sitting with a long beard and up in heaven somewhere in some distant place. That's, by the way, isn't it? That came and that arose not from the early church fathers, that arose because of Newtonian Isaac Newton, the concept that he introduced, but what we see through Albert Einstein and quantum physics, we see how we have now begun to grasp a different God where, that exists in all things. And it's very, very fascinating. Anyhow, I'm rambling on here, but I hope you're getting the point. I completely understand. And with all these steps that you have uh, pointed out and, and given really good direction in this chapter, um, it seems like like you said in the end it says it leads to the egoic tendencies of judging ranking and putting others on the evil side of the spectrum will be replaced with compassion forgiveness and generosity yeah yeah i can't even you know i forgot that i wrote that but that's exactly right that's that's good i might say that's good i like that <laughs> Not because I wrote it, but it's good because it's life-giving. <laughs> well, again, David, I would like to say thank you so much for this chapter and answering a lot of your listeners' questions on how meditation helps you awaken um, and giving us, walking us through different steps to accomplish that awakening through meditation. Um, and 
it, it's it's really hit home. And I I I, I want to go back and read this chapter again because I want to make sure that I can follow the steps in order to to help me, but then you know, interpret it to something that works best for me as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And uh, it's, it, it's, it's life-changing. And I, I'm personally a testament to that, but I know people around the world who have gone through this process and, and are doing this, are experiencing the same kind of transformation. I, it, as I said, it's uh, nine years since we came out with the Amazing Life program. And even to this day, I'm getting people from around the world who say how much it changed their lives because it's, it's a, it's a way for people to become aware of this love, grace, and peace within them and heaven within them rather than heaven, some distant place beyond the galaxies is right there right now. God is within you. And on that note, where can your listeners pick up the 40 day meditation challenge, amazing life. Is that something that's available to them? Pathoflovecenter.com or davidyoungren.com. If they go to one of our websites, they'll be able to access it there. They just check under the different meditations or number of different ones there. The amazing life is there. And so, yeah, they can pick it up there. Well, I encourage everybody who's listening to, again, pick up the book, Awakening to I Am Love with David Youngren. Um, you're going to go through chapter 12 a couple of times because it's that amazing. And I encourage you guys to pick up the, ama the amazing life uh, program because uh, it, you will see a definite changes uh, in, in your life and even the people around you as well. Next week, part four, the manifestation of your true self. Thank you very much, David. Thank you, Marcus. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Path of Love with David Youngren. This podcast is produced by the Path of Love Center, thanks to the generosity of our donors. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider rating it, writing a review, and sharing it with a friend. Together, we can grow an inclusive community around the transformational work of love. To learn more about Path of Love and get daily wisdom seeds sent to your email inbox, visit pathoflovecenter.com. You can also download David Youngren's guided audio meditation, Healing Stillness, for free at our website. From all of us at Path of Love, may love, joy, and peace be with you always.